You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me is my co-host and partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we're tracking this on Thursday. There's an actual NFL game that's going to take place this evening if the weather gods allow, but football's back. Three more days. Three more days, 72 hours until Broncos football is back. It's felt like it's been forever since we saw the starters, so Mm. very, very exciting times. It feels like forever. A lot's happened just since last we podcasted, which was Thursday night of last week on the preseason finale. So much has happened. It's like the world came to an end and it was reborn. And we're going to get to all that. Just real quick, a couple pieces of business. You guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Also, all the uh, applicable social media. Find Mile High Huddle on Facebook, Denver Broncos on 24-7 Sports on Facebook, Zach at Kelberman247, myself at Chad N. Jensen on Twitter. And also, if you haven't done this, take some time, leave a creative review wherever you listen to the show. I don't care if it's iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, Spreaker, Spotify, wherever you're listening to the show. Take just 30 seconds, rate the show, leave a creative review. It's very important in terms of helping us grow and reach new listeners. So take some time, get that done. We appreciate it. And then we also have to say thank you to Audible. You guys, the sponsor of today's show, Audible, go out and get yourselves a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Those of you who are religious listeners to the show know that I'm a huge proponent of Audible because there's over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from, whether you're on iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, because I love to read, but I don't always have time to sit down and turn those pages on the books that I want to read. But Audible allows me to get these books under my belt while I'm doing other things. I can be at the gym, I can be in the car, I can be in the kitchen, I can be in the yard, and still get these phenomenal books under my belt. So you'll love it too. You love listening to podcasts. I promise you, you will love Audible. And this is your opportunity to get your foot in the door with a 30-day free trial and that free audiobook download. So go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up and get started. All right, Zach, let's jump into this thing. Final roster cuts. We don't want to spend too much time because... You know, we got a game to talk about as well here with the with the Seahawks coming to town, but the Broncos whittled the roster. Let's nay, not whittled. They it was a bloodbath. They cut that <laughs> roster from ninety down to the final fifty-three plus the practice squad. But obviously there are some cataclysmic, uh, momentous decisions made. We're gonna talk about Paxton Lynch here in just a minute. But aside from Lynch, what were some of the biggest surprises to you? as the Broncos trimmed down on Saturday, especially from 90 to 53? Well, immediately what jumped out to me was D'Angelo Henderson getting cut. I thought he did enough to make it. I predicted him on my 53. Uh, just too many runners in the running back room. you got to get rid of one. He drew the short straw. Uh, Jeff Holland, outside linebacker, I thought he did enough to make it. He was cut. I was surprised, actually, both cleared waivers, and the Broncos brought back Holland and, and Henderson signed with the Jets, but uh, right. I thought both did enough to make it. Um, other than that, though, maybe uh, Matt Lacoste making it as the tight end three right. over Austin Trailer. That was a little surprising. 
other than that, though, you know, keeping five safeties, I thought that was expected with DeMonte Thomas coming on. But six inside linebackers, mm-hmm. I can't get on board with that at all. That was just overkill to me. I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's interesting about D'Angelo Henderson in particular is I, I – and I wrote a piece. I can't remember what it was titled. Something for mis- roster mistakes the Broncos made on final cutdowns or something. One of them, one of the bones I had to pick was the D'Angelo Henderson cut. And we've talked about it together on this show multiple times we both feel like he was probably the third best running back on the roster yes deserved to make uh the team and yet of course it was Devonte booker who was kind of grandfathered in somebody at dove valley stood up on the table pounding it for Devonte booker and if i had to guess wild guess would be i think gary kubiak loves himself some Devonte booker but that's beside the point what i was going to get to with d'angelo henderson is they make the decision, and again, part of that's the numbers game, as you talked about, deciding to carry six off-ball linebackers. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. But then he passes through waivers. I was I was certain, and here's where I was wrong. I really thought he was going to get claimed on waivers if the Broncos uh, cut him, but he didn't. And I've been told after the fact that not only – at first I, I was told that the Broncos tried to re-sign him to practice squad, and he said, no, I'm signing with the Jets, up yours, I'm out of here, done with this. <laughs> But what I was told recently was that when they brought back Isaiah McKenzie, initially that was supposed to be D'Angelo Henderson, but he said no. So take that for what you will. Can you blame the guy? I mean, he played his heart out. Uh, granted, Zach, he didn't have the greatest start to the preseason this, this past August, but those last two games, man, he laid it down, I thought, with authority. He did, and I don't blame him, blame him at all. He probably felt jilted a little bit, and I, he probably felt like he did enough to stay in Denver. But after the finale against the Cardinals, he actually kind of cryptically hinted at his future, saying he doesn't know what, what's going to happen, and he wants to stay here, but it's not up to him. And I think he saw the writing on the wall. He yeah. saw that Booker was, like you said, grandfathered in. Freeman's not going anywhere. Lindsey made it. And there's just not enough spots to go around. So I don't blame him for going to the Jets. That's a good spot for him. They don't really have an entrenched running back there. They kind of have a committee approach. So you never know. An injury strikes, he can get called up to the 53. Um, I thought he did enough. I thought they should have kept five just to have on the roster. And maybe, maybe, you know, not six inside linebackers, five safeties. But that's a call that Elway, Kubiak, Matt Russell, and Joseph all came to a decision on collectively. Yeah. And the thing with the six off-ball linebackers, they're, they're charging that, explaining that, by way of special teams, they need gunners, they need acumen in the third phase. And I, and I know there's some truth to that, but really, in a perfect world, the Broncos would have carried five. But A.J. slash Alexander Johnson, he just doesn't have his game legs underneath him quite yet. They can't trust him to be that last guy on the depth chart, and so they're carrying six. But even five is a lot. Uh-oh. I mean, I can't, for as long as I've been covering the Broncos, I can't think when they last had five off-ball linebackers. That was exactly my next point, is even five would have been too much. And four was the number last year. It only carried four. Anderson, Corey Nelson behind Davis and Marshall. You don't need six. It's just it's too much. And Johnson, he looked good in the preseason. But if you want to talk about special teams, you cut one of the best special teams players in Brendan Langley. Mm. So to turn around and say that you want them for specials, it doesn't really float. I don't know what the excuse was or what the real reason was to keep both Joseph Jones and Keyshawn Bieria. I understand right. maybe Bieria because he's a rookie, but Joseph Jones, I mean, why not keep Zaire Anderson? If yeah. you're going to cut it to that point, I just don't understand it. Well, I know they're really high on Jones's upside 
They think that, you know, he's still pretty raw. He's got a little NFL experience under his belt. He spent whatever it was. You probably know this better than I do, Zach. One or two games on Denver's active roster last year, mm-hmm. late in the season. But um, Anderson obviously was not up to snuff. He was – I mean, he lucked out into that interception, and in I think it was the opener against the Vikings. And other than that, he really didn't have anything on the positive, noteworthy, uh, to bolster his claim for, for a roster spot. And meanwhile, Keyshawn Bieria – were it not for the fact that he was a draft pick, six-rounder, right? Mm-hmm. This kid, Dude. I don't even think he played well enough in the preseason to justify a practice squad spot, let alone a roster spot. That was mystifying to me. Yeah, if he would have been an undrafted free agent, he would have been cut and yep. cleared clear waivers. So I agree with you. Another thing, though, with specials, it's the last point I want to harp on here. Yep. They kept Janovich primarily because of his special team's ability. They have enough two-way players that can contribute on specials. Why do you need six inside linebackers? And to your point about Anderson, they might be high on Jones, but do you want to have an inexperienced Jones with a rookie in Jewel or a veteran guy like Anderson with a rookie like Jewel? I just don't understand the decision there. It's mystifying. I did not like it at all, and that's my biggest gripe with the roster. Overall, the 53 looks good. Here's but the a, six the six inside linebackers, I just can't get on board with. Right, and here's one thing to keep in mind that I've kind of thought about. I was very reactionary. I was very irritated by the fact that they kept six because of what it cost them. You know, it's not just, oh, they're keeping six. Let's, you know, pick nits here. The reason it's irritating is because it cost them uh, D'Angelo Henderson, a six-round pick last year. It cost them Brendan Langley, a third-round pick last year. It cost them possibly the, you know, prerogative of holding on to Carlos Henderson on the active roster in theory, before you were, you know, back when you were still worried about him getting claimed. But the thing is, with the off-ball linebackers that occurred to me after the fact, is you think about it, Brandon Marshall dropped from 245, 250 down to a safety's weight at 225. And this is a guy who has traditionally already struggled at staying healthy. Mm. They're worried there, obviously. And then you got Todd Davis, who I think, and I wrote about this for the VIPs over the week uh, leading up to this week one game, there has been a kind of emotional shift at Dove Valley away from Brandon Marshall and toward Todd Davis. And I'm not just talking about the fact that, you know, he got a three-year contract with $7 million guaranteed or whatever, but the fact also that he was named and voted a team captain. And, you know, people can argue about it, but guys don't get named captain or voted captain without the front office signing off on it. So the Broncos were okay and happy with Davis getting that nod over a guy like Brandon Marshall, who's got deeper roots in Denver. He's been there longer. So I think they're extremely worried about not necessarily performance, Zach, like, you know, Brandon Marshall, when he's healthy, is one of the better off-ball linebackers in the league. And Todd Davis, as we know, has become one of the best run stoppers in the NFL. But that's when they're on the field. you got to worry about health this time around. And if Josie Jewell is your last line of defense – I'm, I'm not worried about that per, per se as far as Jewel. Behind him, though, that's where the team, I think, is starting to grasp at some straws. And don't forget, though, Davis was injured last year. He had that ankle. So he's not exactly, yep. you know, Iron Man either. I, I agree with the point. And I don't really understand the whole captain thing with him. Maybe they are going to a shift, like you wrote, which was a great piece. But why him and not Chris Harris Jr.? You know, why not a more established mm. player on the roster? Right. It, it was kind of surprising to me. Of all the captains that were named, Todd Davis? 
I mean, a great run stopper, um, a fi- uh, you know, a low key leader. He leads with his play, but to go to him and not a more established player was mystifying. So uh, that's another story, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Now, before we move on and talk a little bit more about what's coming on the horizon here with the Seahawks coming to town. Uh, we got to talk about the quarterback situation and the fact that Broncos country is finally in a position where you can officially exercise the Paxton Lynch demons. He's gone. It's over. And uh, the Broncos made the fateful decision. Now, Saturday, I wrote in that same four roster whatever decisions that pissed me off <laughs> that the Broncos made a, a mistake in holding on to Lynch. And there's multiple reasons. We don't need to get into all of them. Then the next day, news breaks. Paxton Lynch has been waived uh, as Kevin Hogan has been claimed off waiver. So you're, I know you've talked, we've both written about it on the website, but for our listeners, let's, what was your immediate reaction when that came across the newswire for you? That he was saved? He was or, no, that, he was that, that Lynch was gone. I knew as soon as they picked up Kevin Hogan off waivers that it was the end of Lynch. They're not going to carry four. They're not going to put one on the practice squad. So I was happy with the pickup when they claimed Hogan. He is not the best quarterback in the world. But I think, as I wrote today, they were looking for any reason to wash their hands of Paxton Lynch. Mm-hmm. And Elway alluded to it in his uh, post-53 you know, man press conference that he right. said they, they talked to multiple quarterbacks and none wanted to sign on. None wanted to hold a clipboard as a number three, so they finally picked up a guy who pretty much had no choice. They claimed him off waivers, and uh, they were just looking for any reason to jettison Lynch. And for that point, I do like to pick up a Kevin Hogan, and I was not surprised. Based on the way Elway was talking about Paxton Lynch, saying he needs to improve, you know, he needs to continue doing work, it wasn't a glowing endorsement of Paxton Lynch. He could have stuck by him. So it was just a temporary fill-in on the 53. So I was not surprised at all to hear it. Right. And, you know, it came late, better late than never, but Elway showed some intestinal fortitude there, not only cutting Lynch, but Lynch represented the sixth recent draft pick the Broncos had waived within about a 24-hour period. So that sends a message to to the coaching staff. It sends a message to uh, the veterans even. It sends a message, especially to the young players, do not rest on your laurels. Do not think that draft pedigree is going to save you. Because at this point, Zach, when you're a team that's going to the playoffs every year, I mean, you can afford to to roll the dice and, and take it easy on some of your, your draft picks, on all your draft picks. You can let them kind of grow and take their time. But now, when you're coming off not just two seasons of missing the playoffs, but the most recent of which was one of the worst seasons in the history of the franchise – I mean, you have to light a fire. You cannot accept anything less than the absolute best that guys have to, to offer from an execution, from an effort uh, standpoint. So that's another thing that, you know, it was painful cutting some of those guys, and many of them we can touch on that were re-signed to the practice squad. But it was, I thought, you know, and he's, got, he's gotten creamed, Elway, in the press and the media uh, since then for just being this absolutely terrible, uh, you know, GM for drafting just all these poor draft picks and all that. On that note, I'll, I'll, those of you have probably already listened to the Trickle Down Theories episode this week. Trickle did some of his own advanced analytic, analytics on the situation. Elway has not been near as bad, in comparatively speaking, in terms of the rest of the GMs in the NFL over the last four or five years at missing on draft picks than the media would lead you to believe. I wrote that almost word for word, like you said, that your draft status does not dictate anything. 
it does not guarantee job security. You either produce or no matter where you're cut, you know, where you were drafted, first round, second round, seventh round, you're going to get shown the door. And Elway pretty much had no choice. And he actually admitted yesterday in a radio interview, I did a piece about this, that he he made the decision based partly on the fan pressure and the negative press that Lynch was receiving, the booze on the field, the GoFundMe that was created to expedite his release, yep. the the tape that he put out, and and then the pieces that were being written about him, he had no choice, and he was looking for any reason to jettison Paxton Lynch, and it was a first round pick, and that was Elway's guy, that was his successor, that was the big, tall, strong armed, you know, mobile quarterback. So I give Elway credit, I do for unloading him and finally cutting his losses, swallowing his pride in his ego, which he does not does not like to do at all. Yeah. Um, but I think Gary Kubiak had his fingerprints on all of these moves. Mm-hmm. He's a very trusted confidant of John Elway, and he gives his voice, and he has a major voice in the front office now in his new role. I think he had his fingerprints on these moves to kind of nudge Elway to cut bait with some of his draft picks and not keep him on the roster simply because they were drafted. It's kind of like... You know, for those of you listening out there who are parents, it's like you, sometimes you have to, you know, the, the kids graduate high school, right? And it's painful, but you, you got to cut them loose. And that's kind of how it is for, for yeah, you, you got to get them out of the nest. And that's kind of how it is for GMs. You know, they not only is their reputation and their resume on the line and that pride aspect that Zach was alluding to a few, just barely, but also the fact that they do represent a kind of emotional investment uh, on the part of the GM. Look, I handpicked you. I'm the one that chose you out of hundreds of candidates. I drafted you. I we invested in you as a team, not only in dollars, cap dollars, but you know we invested in you from a coaching and a teaching uh, perspective and promotional perspective. And now I got to cut bait. You know, it's a bittersweet type of thing, but it represents again. I think Zach, a team, a GM, a front office that is not only showing accountability. But it's like every plumber knows which direction crap rolls, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's what it's it's gravity. It's a, it's a law of nature. And the truth is, the front office is feeling some heat. Um, not necessarily. I'm not saying John Elway's job is on the line this this year or anything like that. But he's feeling the pressure, the 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 pressure from losing, the discontent in the fan base, the scrutiny uh, and scorn in the media, and so that's trickling downhill. You see it in the cuts. You see it in in that urgency. Your, the coaches and the players are going to feel it. And I just hope, and we're going to get to Seattle here in just a minute, but I just hope that that is reflected in the energy of this team when they hit the gridiron. There was no positive about keeping Lynch around. He was an albatross around this franchise's neck. He was bad for the locker room, bad for their on-field play. And if you need further proof that Elway got rid of him because of morale and fan pressure and the tape that he put out, look to the fact that it cut, it cost them more to cut Lynch than to keep him around in dead money. That proves to you that he didn't care about his short-term detriments, what it cost the team, what it cost the you know the, the roster spots. Right. He wanted to send a message to the team that even your former first-round pick, a guy I handpicked and traded up to get, his job is not safe and he's gone because he did not produce. So I applaud Elway for sending that message. Absolutely. Um, Let's talk real quick before we move on officially about Kevin Hogan. Uh, you've written about him quite a bit. I haven't really talked about him in written form, and this is really the first time. Um, you know, I've, I've watched him play. I've scouted him myself. He's, uh, you know, he's a solid quarterback. He's a good, accurate, um, 
thrower of the football within that 15 yards of the line of scrimmage type guy. He's similar to Trevor Simeon in that he's he's not really a vertical arm. He's not really vertically oriented from a mindset, from a gunslinger's type of mindset. He's going to protect the ball. He's super smart, really high football IQ, limited athletically, but he's a Stanford guy. So obviously there was a fit there. He's got experience with the West Coast type of system, so he fit with Bill Musgrave. He fit with that uh, offensive identity that the Broncos have as far as a third stringer, as far as even a developmental guy. But I've heard a lot of people, you know, it's, you can listen on Denver radio, it's in the blogs, it's in our message boards, it's in social media, it's everywhere. Do you believe Kevin Hogan was brought in as a legitimate threat to Chad Kelly, or is he simply a temporary doorstop, a guy that the team wanted on the roster to serve as scout team and give those scout team snaps to to the uh, to the defense so that Chad Kelly can focus on second team and preparing to be the starter because he's only one snap away like all backups have to do. I'd think and hope it's the latter. I don't want to think they br- they brought Kevin Hogan in, a guy who's so unimpressive from a physical standpoint. You look at him, you don't see anything that stands out to you. He's not overly tall. His arm's not overly strong. He doesn't have a, a major draft pedigree. He was a mid-round pick. You Chad Kelly needs to be that cemented number two. He did enough to earn that role. And to take away reps and to put him in a fourth competition right before the season starts, when he should have that job, they should be focused on grooming Chad Kelly to take over for Keenum in a couple years. Not putting him in competition with a guy they picked off the scrap heap who's on his third team in, in three years. So I hope that it's the latter, but I've heard it's the former, that they are opening a battle now between Kelly and Hogan for the number two spot. And Hogan's not just a clipboard holder. They're going to make him, they're going to try to make him a number two. I do not like that move at all. I was happy they picked up Kevin Hogan for one reason, because it meant that Lynch was gone. I do not like it, though, if it means that Kelly is going to have to compete for his job. He did enough in the preseason to warrant being the number two. There should be no argument about it. Yeah. And I, just from what I've heard and reading the signs myself, I really don't think that Kevin is any kind of legitimate threat to Chad Kelly. But if you're looking for a silver lining here, it's, it's good for a guy <clears throat> like Chad Kelly, who in a sense kind of came out of nowhere this summer, leapfrogged over Paxton Lynch and kind of set the world on fire. It's good for him to kind of go look around and goes, wow, I made the 53 man on the backup, whoa, and go, I can't rest on my laurels. Like I got a guy here. If I if he catches if if the team catches me slipping, you know this guy could supplant me and cost me everything I've already fought for and earned. So if there's a silver lining, it's good because we know the type of competitor Chad Kelly is. I think in the short term, even if Kevin Hogan only lasts a couple of weeks on the roster, it's good in terms of it is at the very least that additional kind of alien presence coming in out of left field to keep Chad Kelly on his toes, to keep him on his game and looking the you know the, the you know focusing on continuing to get better. My only concern with that is if he worries and focuses too much on what's behind him, you know, he's not going to be focused on the task at hand because what you want from Chad Kelly if you're the Denver Broncos and not just as a backup but as a young, long-term more than a developmental quarterback is you want him cultivating the starter's mindset. You want him going, I'm glad I'm the backup, you know, I'm I'm grateful and all that, but like I'm not content with it. Like I should be the one out there starting, not Case Keenum. And I'm not saying that's what should happen. 
No one misread what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying Chad Kelly should be the backup or the, the starter over Case Keenum. What I'm saying is you want him to have that mindset. We heard him a couple weeks ago, or last week actually, use in a, in a quick presser with the media the, the term franchise quarterback three or four different times within about a five-minute window. So it kind of tells you where his mindset is, how he's viewing this opportunity. I want him to continue looking at it that way, Zach, and not be like, you know, worried about what's behind him because it's like running a race. If you're constantly looking over your shoulder, you're going to give up ground to some of your other opponents. But if you're focusing on what's ahead of you, the, the more likely you are to reach it. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, a franchise quarterbacks, which Kelly wants to be, franchise QBs don't have to compete with Kevin Hogan for the starting job. It, it's just, why take away those reps from a guy who, in his first game action in two years, 600 days, he came in after four games, and, you know, minus the, the preseason finale, he wasn't great in that game, let's right. be honest. Yep. But the first three games, he was great, and he did enough. He's not the starter, but he wants to be a starter. He has that competitive drive. Physically, his physical tools blow Kevin Hogan away. And I just don't see why they put him in a competition. Maybe they iron sharpens iron. And that's the message right now in Dove Valley. Maybe that's how they're selling it to him. But you, you made a great analogy. If he looks behind him, he's going to miss what's in front of him. And yep. that's a chance to be groomed as a long-term possible successor to Case Keenum. They need to give him all the reps. They're again mismanaging a quarterback situation. We went through one year without a, a major quarterback battle, and now they're manufacturing one artificially between Kelly, a guy who deserves a number two spot, and Hogan, who they picked up. And I think he's here to stay because if I, maybe I'm wrong, but if he's on the roster for week one, isn't his salary guaranteed for the rest of the year? I and maybe they. That'd be a good question. A guy like Bob Morris would know that, but I think they have to be a vested veteran in order for it to guarantee for the season. That makes sense. But I'm I mean, not positive I, I, on that. Don't quote me on that. That could be possible. I just think that, you know, if they're going to put him in and all reports immediately came out and said he's going to be in a competition, he's not just a clipboard holder. He's right. not a guy whose his spot is in, in jeopardy. So I think he's here to stay, and I hope he's just here to stay as a number three, as a fail-safe, as insurance, if anything should happen, not to push Kelly for the number two spot. Let him settle in and let him earn that spot. I mean, and earn that that right, which he has, and go forward with that and just have your three quarterbacks in that order. Yeah, absolutely. And the biggest thing, too, that that is the downside of adding a guy like Kevin Hogan is, and we've talked about the blessing that Chad Kelly gave the Broncos by virtue of his performance this summer, which was making it so that they didn't have to carry three quarterbacks. He gave them that additional roster wiggle and they wasted it on Kevin Hogan, who is not even going to dress on Sunday. Let's face it. He's not going to dress. And so you could have used that on D'Angelo Henderson. You could have used it on Jeff Holland, who, granted, is re-signed to the practice squad, but you could have used it on a variety of different guys that they chose to cut bait with instead of Kevin Hogan, who's not going to dress. But we have a lot more, obviously, to get to with the Seattle Seahawks coming to town. But first, got to say thank you to our sponsor, my bookie. Now, if you're watching the Broncos or you're watching the games, it's time to start making money while you're doing it. My bookie is the industry leading website that hooks you up for all your betting needs. And with their great odds, their fast payouts, and decades of expertise, you can bet with confidence. And your team doesn't even have to win, they just need to cover the spread. So, what are you waiting for? Lay down some cash and win big today. Here's the thing where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. I trust them, but you don't have to. Take my word for it. Check them out yourself. 
They have in-game, live betting, and a mobile site that makes wagering on the go easier than ever. And you can also check out their online casino if you'd rather just play a few hands of blackjack or roll the dice in craps. Join now, and my bookie will match your deposit 100% up to $1,000. Join using code HUDDLE. That's code HUDDLE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so let's touch on Broncos Seahawks. Now, obviously, um, Nick and Carl do a great job with their scout side preview, really deep diving on the upcoming opponent, and they turned in a doozy as far as this week's episode for the Seahawks. We're not here to, to you know rain on their parade or step on their toes at all, but Zach and I want to talk about what we see as some of the key storylines, some of the key players in this upcoming game. And one thing that came to mind for me, Zach, real quick, talking about the opponent is, and I wrote about this on Thursday, is the fact that even though the early signs had Earl Thomas not playing week one, all he he's on record now of saying that he will be playing uh, week one on Sunday in Denver. So your thoughts about Earl Thomas suddenly being available to play against the Broncos? It's kind of short notice, a few days to go until the season. He missed the entire summer. He missed the entire spring, but he's an all-pro, and he's familiar with the scheme. If he plays, which I think he will, he'll be on a pitch count. But that's going to still be a negative for the Broncos offense, a guy they're going to have to game plan around. He's still a great safety, a very rangy safety, very rangy defender. Yep. So uh, Case Keenum's going to have to you know, keep an eye on him. I think he will play, maybe not get the full run because his conditioning might not be tip-top, but he will. I think he will play in that mile-high altitude. And Case Keenum has to be aware of where he is, and the receivers have to be aware of running the routes kind of away from him and not right into his uh, ground. But it's just such a, a feather in the cap for the Seahawks because what Earl Thomas does is he might be the number one safety of all time as a center fielder because he can be in the deep play in the deep third and he can be like, you know, kind of cheating to the right, for example, and Keenum looks to, to the left and he sees he's got one-on-one coverage and, you know, it's a go route and he's going to unload. And Thomas can come from the opposite side of the field before as the ball is making its arc and get there to either disrupt, pick off, or lay out the receiver. He's that good. Like, his range, talk about a sideline-to-sideline safety. Like, it's like Case Keenum said in his quote, I think it was from Wednesday, that, that Earl Thomas can execute his assignment from any position on the field. So you gotta you got to worry about him, as you said, always recognize where he is pre-snap. This is why I also think they're going to have a run-heavy game plan for this game. And even... Vance alluded to that today. They have a plan to use all three running backs in different roles. They're going to be a run-first offense this year. People think they're going to air it out like the 99 Rams. It's not going to happen. They're going to still use their running backs, and Royce Freeman's going to have a big game, I think. Uh, the, the Seahawks, they rebuilt their defensive line. They kind of added some new pieces there. I think they're going to be a run-first oriented game plan for this game. Use the run to set up the pass, and then hopefully convert second and shorts, third and shorts, and not get into third and longs, where he's blitz and Earl Thomas can do his damage over the middle. Because like you said, there's no better safety in the NFL. Even a guy coming off the entire summer holding out, he can right. still come in and wreck a game. So uh, I think you're, they're going to be run first, I think a 60-40 approach, as they should be for this game. Yeah, and he's I mean, he's headed for the Hall of Fame. When he hangs it up, yeah, uh, for sure. he'll have to wait his six or seven years, whatever it is. He's, he's headed to the Hall of Fame. But yeah, he's a guy, another guy I'm worried about, and Nick did a great job writing about this on Thursday is the their edge defender, um, Frank Clark. Now, sometimes he plays inside, but mostly he's an edge out, uh, not outside linebacker, but defensive end in their 4-3. 
And for those of you who haven't seen it yet, get over to the website, milehighhuddle.com, and it's at the very top in the carousel. It's actually a very rare free film review. Uh, so take some time. Nick did a great job. But Frank Clark, now this was a guy, Zach, that, and especially for those of you listening who might not recall, he had some character concerns coming out of Michigan in the draft, but the Seahawks took him, and he's been nothing but a pro. I mean, he's stayed out of trouble off the field since coming to Seattle, and he can be an absolute game wrecker. Cliff Averill's gone. Michael Bennett's gone. You know, Richard Sherman's gone. Cam Chancellor. Bruce Irvin. Bruce Irvin. Yeah, exactly. But you got to worry about Frank Clark because he's a guy that's going to be, they're going to try and exploit the relative inexperience of Garrett Bowles with Frank Clark, who isn't that much more experienced from a NFL perspective than Bowles. But there's a difference in terms of experience when it comes to being a left tackle, uh, trying to defend kind of a twitchy edge rusher and, you know, a, a defensive end just trying to get past a tackle. So that's a guy I'm a little bit worried about. I'll see your Frank Clark and raise you Shaq Griffin. Who's going to start the rookie? Right. Uh, at, yeah, he's he's good. No matter his um, you know, he, he with his one hand and his uh, his limitations, he's going to be a good player. And they have two edge rushers now. And you're talking about Garrett Bowles, who struggled last year with protection, with penalties and his stance and technique, and Jared Valdir, who was starting his first game as a Bronco. And Valdir looked great in the preseason. Yeah, he, did. he didn't allow a single pressure on Case Keenum. But the Seahawks are going to come and try to disrupt Case Keenum on passing situations and rush the passer. Frank Clark is a great player. He can wreck a game, as you said. When they blitz, when they drop some people back in coverage, they can bring them on a rush. But Shaq Griffin, to me, that's who I'm worried about, too, because he has a lot of quick uh, twitch ability off the edge. He's a very, very sneaky good player. So between the two of them, the tackles have to be on their game. I would not be surprised if they use Devontae Booker a lot in this game only because he's good in pass pro. Yes, and I didn't see the practice report yet for Thursday, but I know K.J. Wright, um, the phenomenal off-ball middle linebacker for them, uh, has been nursing some kind of injury. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was limited on Wednesday, and I'm sure he's going to play. But that's the other thing is from a run-stopping perspective, if you look at Seattle's numbers from last year, I mean, the Broncos had them well beaten as far as a run-stopping defense. The Broncos were in the top five. And if I recall right, the the Seahawks were basically bottom third, you know, top mm-hmm. end of the bottom third. Um, but if they've got their two healthy off-ball linebackers, you got, as you mentioned, Griffin coming in, it will be really interesting to see how the rubber meets the road for this burgeoning Broncos offense that's not only trying to, you know, cultivate and establish an identity, but more specifically at home especially, establish the run. You got a uh, – Three young running backs, really. I mean, Booker's still really young, but especially you got Booker or uh, Freeman and Lindsey. It'll be interesting to see how much ground those guys can get on a Seahawks defense that's still trying to kind of bounce back. They used to be this big, vaunted, you know, the Legion of Boom and this uh, force of nature, so to speak. But now, <laughs> you know, the, the, the trendy coin term now is the Legion of whom? <laughs> yeah, they're a shell of their former selves, and let's not get it twisted now. I mean, they're still talented, but that team is a team in transition. I'd be a lot more worried about this game if it was in Seattle with that noise in that stadium. Yeah. The Broncos should have no issue on offense if they just played to their strengths, which is still the run game. They have a quarterback who they should not have to worry about turning the ball over too much in Case Keenum. He is a major upgrade there, but they have to establish the run. 
They cannot find themselves in third and longs, going three and out. They cannot hand the ball over to Russell Wilson and tire the defense out. They have to get going. They have to take control of T.O.P., control the ball, control the clock, score touchdowns, not field goals, and get the run game going. If they can do that, which I think they should, they have a really good chance of winning this game. Okay, absolutely. Well, we've uh, we've touched on Russell Wilson. You wrote a piece on Thursday about how the Broncos throughout this week have really gushed about him many times. I mean, countless times been asked about the Seahawks, been asked about Russell Wilson. Obviously, he's the name that you got to hang your hat on if you're talking about the Seahawks in 2018. But the Broncos have not only gone out of their way to avoid giving Seattle any bulletin board material, but as you wrote about, I mean, they gushed about him. Over and over and over again. It was everyone on the team, from Vance Joseph to Brandon Marshall, Von Miller. Everyone has nice things to say about Russell Wilson, and, and for good reason. He's still a franchise quarterback. He's still a top, you know, top, what, 12, top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a dangerous player for the Broncos because he can hurt you with his arm, his legs, and his brain. He's yeah. very smart, and he knows where to go with the ball. And it's a big test and Vance alluded to this and Chubb alluded to this for the rookie, containing him on the edge. Right. And you saw him struggle with that in the preseason a little bit. And it's tough going from defensive end in college to stand-up outside linebacker. That's going to be a big onus on him for this game. He cannot let Wilson escape from the pocket, set up shop out of the pocket, and find players downfield or take off and run with it. That matchup right there, the outside linebackers and Bradley Chubb versus Russell Wilson in the pocket, that is the matchup to watch on defense. If they can keep him in, they can rush him, they can harass him, they have a really good chance of succeeding. If he gets out of the pocket, if he has time to throw, I do not really trust the secondary to hold up for more than four seconds based on what we saw in the preseason. He knows where to go with the ball. Doug Baldwin is a great receiver. Um, you know, they don't have a great tight end anymore with Jimmy no. Graham, but uh, it, it, they got to contain him in the pocket. That's that's number one. That's the biggest priority. And that's what Wilson's done, though. I mean, Wilson's made a career out of no-name receivers turning into something. I mean, Doug Baldwin, once upon a time, was a no-name guy that Wilson helped to you know, kind of bring out of the doldrum, so to speak, and into, I wouldn't say superstar status, but he's Pretty one of close. the, I mean, he is one of the most respected receivers inside the NFL, I can tell you that. Uh, look at uh, Jermaine, what was his name, Curse, Curse. Um, Golden Paul Tate, Richardson. Paul Richardson. So he has an ability, and that's the thing, is like, if you're trying to coach up Bradley Chubb, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, because you're saying, rush, 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 get the quarterback, but... In the back of your mind, don't break contain. Don't let him get outside. Like you know, it's it's a very uh, it's a dichotomy. It's 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 difficult for these guys to, especially for a young player. So he's got to have discipline. But I don't envy that for a guy. Bradley Chubb, his first NFL game, is going against a guy <laughs> like Russell Wilson. Not that he's some mega you know legend yet, anyway, of a quarterback like going against Peyton Manning. But just that dual threat ability to beat you with his arm or beat you with his legs. It's going to be an interesting test for Bradley Chubb and the entire Broncos front seven. I would not be surprised if these two other players were big proponents of the game plan, and that's Josie Jewell because of his pass-covering ability, and Justin Simmons as that center fielder free safety. Maybe have a spy on him, maybe watch him near the line of scrimmage. I would not entrust Chubb, as good as he can be, and as the flashes that he's shown in the preseason, I would not trust him 
to leave him one-on-one with Russell Wilson, who's made a career, like you said, out of pulling rabbits out of his hat and magic tricks on the field. And to your point about the receivers, that's what franchise quarterbacks do. They build up the talent around them. That's why Tom Brady's made a career out of that. So they don't need good receivers. They need capable players, and Wilson knows where to go with the ball. They cannot give him time, and they cannot let him set up shop outside. They have to contain him. Um, Justin Simmons and and Josie Jewell, that's two players who cover the pass pretty well. I do not want Wilson one-on-one with Darian Stewart, Todd Davis. That would be a matchup nightmare. So I hope they have a better game plan uh, for Russell Wilson this week. No doubt. They, they raise all ships, right? True franchise caliber quarterbacks raise all ships. And you saw Peyton do it when he came to Denver. Last thing I'll say on this is he came to Denver and you had a, you know, a guy in Demarius Thomas, former first round pick. He made a few plays in his second year, the Tebow year, most notably the Pittsburgh uh, overtime touchdown. But he took relative no names like Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, Julius Thomas into perennial pro bowler slash thousand yard receivers and all three of them thanks to Peyton Manning, went on to earn millions of dollars that they might not have otherwise gotten. And it's that same type of thing that a guy like Russell Wilson brings to the table. I'm not overly scared about any of uh, Seattle's receiving options outside of Doug Baldwin, but when your quarterback is running free and it's three, four seconds into the play and coverage is broken down and it turns into backyard you know, football, that's where he's most dangerous. Now, Before we get out of here, let's just take a couple of quick questions from the Mile High Mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests. We're here each and every week to offer answers and absolution to your Burning Broncos questions. And the first question here comes from Kristen Morano on Facebook. Kristen's question is, will Bradley Chubb exceed expectations? Will he excel? What's more, will he excel paired with Von Miller? Your answer for Kristen. That's kind of subjective. It depends on what your expectations are for Bradley Chubb. Everyone thinks, you know, some people think he's going to be defensive rookie of the year. Others think he's going to be just a bid player. I think he'll be somewhere in the middle. I think it's going to be more of a transition going to starting outside linebacker than most realize. You mm-hmm. saw his struggles in the preseason in run support on the edge. He's going to have a transition period. It's not going to be seamless. So I think he'll be somewhere in the middle. I think he ends the season with six sacks, let's say. He gives Von Miller a good presence off the edge. Um, he takes some double teams, some triple teams off Miller, some chip blocks, and they, yep. they move him around a little bit. So I think I have good expectations for him. Not bad and not overly amazing. I think going forward, though, in 2019 and beyond, that's when he'll start to shine. But this year could be kind of a transition period. Right. I mean, what he's got going for him, aside from his ridiculous talent and size, and let's not forget, this is an edge player rushing at like 270 pounds, which actually makes him more similar to Seattle's Frank Clark than he is you know, mm. to Von Miller, for example. But anyway, what he has going for him, aside from his talent, is the fact that he is unlike a lot of big-time defensive players that are taken in the top five. He's not being expected or relied upon, like a Miles Garrett last year, for example, to come in and all of a sudden be the star of the defense. He's got, he came to a perfect situation for a young, talented player, top five pick, where he's surrounded by phenomenal talent, other guys, peers like him on the edge, who can help carry some of that uh, attention, take some of that attention from the opposing offense, and then great role players behind him and around him to just kind of take some of the pressure off of him so that he can just go out and go, you know what? I don't have to be Superman. And it's in those type of situations where oftentimes 
you see the cream rise to the top. And it's just like I talked about on one of the podcasts during the preseason is, you know, that first game, he, you could tell he was shaking off some rust and some, uh, you know, debut jitters. But that second game against Chicago where he got the safety, I mean, throughout those, each and every snap he played on the, on the field with the first-team defense, not once did he ever look like he was out of place or that he wasn't carrying his fair share of the water, unlike, for example, when the Broncos would have to rely on Shane Ray early on in his career. Shane Ray, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, speed rusher, but so much of his other aspects of his game left a lot to be desired. And so opposing offensive coordinators and quarterbacks would go at him in different ways. And I never saw that. Now, granted, it's vanilla scheme and all that in the preseason, but bottom line, what I'm getting at here, Kristen, is that Bradley Chubb, he looked like he belonged on the Broncos' defense. It didn't look like he was, you know, um, the last guy of the 11. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, to your point about getting too comfortable, it kind of works both ways, though, because you have two hungry pass rushers in Ray and Shaq Barrett. Both are entering free agency next offseason. Both want to show that they belong. So Chubb was gifted a starting spot because of his draft status. If he was a fourth-round pick, he wouldn't have been starting. Probably would have been Shane Ray. So he can't sit back either. He has to produce. And if Ray comes out um, with a head of steam or Shaq Barrett starts piling up the sacks, he has to show that he's belonging of that starting spot and he has to justify his number five overall pick status. So I think it'll work both ways. Yep. Definitely fair. Fair, fair. Last question, and then we're getting out of here, comes from Marcus Irons from Facebook. Marcus's question is just simply, what is your prediction for week one? Now, one thing before you answer this, Zach, is most of you know, some of you don't. You might listen to this on YouTube and you haven't been exposed to the website. But each and every Friday during game week, uh, we publish the Mile High Roundtable where everybody on staff weighs in on any kind of, you know, bold prediction, whatever, a couple of a, one or two paragraphs. It's not super long from each guy and a score prediction who's going to win. So look for that from the entire staff on Friday on the website. Meanwhile, Zach and I, we're going to weigh in now. We're going to weigh in early on Thursday. Your prediction, Zach, the Broncos trying to bounce back from 5-11, and 11, trying to reestablish themselves in the NFL as one of the premier franchises. they got a new quarterback. They're paying a ton of money. they got some revamped talent churning that bottom of the roster. Your prediction for week one. You hit on it. This is a crossroads season for the Broncos. No one really debates that. Two years in a row without the playoffs, 5-11 and 11 last year, Vance on the hot seat. They have to succeed this season. They have to improve. And part of that is beating the teams you're supposed to beat. Mm. That's one of the things that makes up a playoff contender, is beating the teams you're supposed to beat and even some of the teams you're not supposed to beat. They should beat the Seahawks. The Seahawks are an inferior team on paper. On paper. The game's not played on paper. But this is not the same Seahawks team that blew them out in the Super Bowl. This is a shell of that team. They just have Russell Wilson and, you know, Earl Thomas. They're without a lot of star power now. So on paper at home, they're favored the Broncos by three points. I think they should beat them. And I think they will beat them. But it's going to be an early season barometer right out of the gate to see what they're made of, what their metal is. Are they going to be a team that takes advantage of their schedule, their lighter schedule? Is it going to come together for John Elway, who spent a ton of money this year, devoted a lot of resources, gave Joseph everything, a new coaching staff, a new quarterback, new offensive talent, defensive talent. They have to beat the teams they should beat, and that starts in week one. I think they do beat Seattle, but it's going to be a close game. I'm going 24-20 Denver. Mm. I do not disagree with anything you just said. I also have the Broncos winning this game. 
I'm going to go, just for the sake of parity here, though, I'm going to say Broncos win 2017. Mm, close they, game. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, the Broncos last year averaged 18 points, so a game. So let's, you know, even if you're, even if you're saying this Case Keenum-led offense is going to be marginally better from a points perspective than last year, I'm going to put them right there about 20 points in the opener as they're still kind of shaking off some of the rust and getting acclimated to the intensity of regular season play. So good news, though, Broncos country. Both Zach and I have your team emerging victorious in what will probably, though, be a very hard-fought game. Russell Wilson doesn't go down without a fight. So that's all we have for today, though. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, and myself, at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you are subscribing, y'all, because we're going to be right back here after the game to offer up our gut reaction and instant analysis to what takes place in week one. Uh, week one for the Denver Broncos. So thanks for listening. Make sure you're subscribing. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We will talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.